0: All right, welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan, joined by Russell Johnson, our recruiting guru and uh, all around uh, writer for Jackets Online. And uh, we record this at a, a humorous moment in time where Russell has just watched the, he's a avid Atlanta Braves fan and watches every game, watching the end of game two of the NLCS. Uh, he he uh, luckily for y'all, the Braves pulled that out. Otherwise, Russell might not be conscious right now and able to do this podcast.
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's very true. Uh, that was a that was that was one way to end a, a game and to, to get a two zero c- series lead and it's what many thought was the best team in baseball.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, it's been kind of interesting to watch uh, that that series. I've picked up on it since it's a big thing, you know, in Atlanta and when the Braves are in the postseason like that, I'll watch their games. Um, I'm not, I'll go to some Braves games but them. that's not really my thing, but um, anyways, it's a big week for Georgia Tech um, in a lot of different ways. Um, coming off the Louisville win, we both did not predict uh, last week in our podcast. Uh, you know, they did the one thing that we talked about a lot, which was playing clean and not turning the ball over. I think I might have said if they were plus one or two, they'd win the game in turnovers and Sure enough, they were, and uh, they won the game and um, looked pretty convincing in the second half, doing so um, coming back and, and taking a commanding lead at the end. Um, any kind of thoughts from you? You were obviously watching on TV. I was, I was there. Uh, it can be a little different. Anything that kind of caught your eye um, from the Louisville game?
1: I mean, first, you know, like you talked about, you know, taking care of the ball and then really – Seeing up close and personal, I mean, you saw it obviously live, but seeing the maturation and the growth of Jeff Sims just from his first start at the Ford State game to the game on Friday night, you know, getting down when he needed to, knowing where the sticks were, um, and and situational awareness that you don't normally see from a a true freshman making his, you know, a a prime time start like that. Usually some of them get – Get big eyes and like deer in the headlights type look, but Sims didn't really get that. And then I mean, just seeing the adjustments that the, the offensive staff made throughout the game, because, you know, at times uh, the way Louisville was lining up defensively, they were setting themselves up for exactly what Georgia Tech ended up executing, uh, especially on the, the play with Gibbs, where he they thought he was running a wheel route for the uh, with the, the touchdown over the middle where he jumped mm-hmm. over the guy um he, they thought he was running the real route and then he ended up cutting back inside and that's the opening that they had been kind of waiting for for most of the game and being able to do that was was important and big um obviously this week this week's a, a really big really big uh obstacle and test in, in Clemson
0: yeah I mean you know I won't belabor too much the point of what happened they took the ball away which was big and were aggressive at doing that on defense louisville's a weird team to match up with they're almost um in some ways uh a reflection of like a triple option type team with some pistol passing elements mixed in there they they run the ball and run the ball downhill and they even scored on a triple option playing a game and that's not what this game's going to be about this game's about containing two guys Trevor Lawrence and uh, Travis Etienne and if you can keep those guys sort of in check then you have a chance to to be in a game and if they don't they won't like it's that simple last year they did a nice job um on Lawrence got a couple of picks early but had some miscues and special teams in the, in the punt return game and uh, just didn't have enough offense at that point to really hang around with Clemson. So this will be a really interesting game. It's it's what I would say is a measuring stick. I think playing at noon, I don't know if that helps or hurts. Uh, it probably just depends on how everybody comes out, but you know, Clemson's really good, man. Like in their, you know, experience on offense, which is tough because that's they can score a lot of points on you. Um, you know, Miami's defense is no joke and they gave them headaches all all day in really crappy weather um last week and then uh you know defensively they're they're young at a lot of key spots but the talent they have is second to none they're all guys that you would trade for and if you kind of go down the roster which is one of the ways I like to look at these matchups right i don't know where you would trade a georgia tech starter for a clemson starter right like yeah I mean even even their punters a pretty good punter. Like I mean, there's not like there's just not really places where you would be like, Oh, I'll take, you know, um you know, I'm not gonna take Antonius Clayton over Miles Murphy at this point or, or K J Henry. Like
1: No, which is crazy.
0: Yeah, and Antonius is a great player, but Miles Murphy's ridiculous as a true freshman and um, yeah. A.J. Henry is a great player and I mean when you get into too deep I think Georgia Tech that's where you start to see maybe things even out a little bit more but that's going into the too deep I mean I'd take Gibbs over Lindjay Dixon but like you know uh, it's a tough matchup on paper Clemson plays really well sometimes they play down to teams so it'll be interesting to see if that happens with a noon game they're coming off a pretty amped up game against Miami And then Georgia Tech, you got to see them play well, right? I think we've sort of seen Georgia Tech play up and down to who they've played all year, right? Like, they played up for Florida State just because it was a season opener and there were a lot of expectations. They played up for UCF, really, for three quarters plus five minutes and then played down to Syracuse and played up on Louisville on Friday night. So – it'll be these next two games are really interesting cuz to me they both are kind of in litmus tests of the coaching staff's ability to to keep guys focused because they're going to play this Clemson game where they're going to they're 26 point dogs or whatever going into it. And they got beat pretty badly last year. And then you go up to Boston College where you're going to play an afternoon game in front of no one um against a team that is yeah. very similar to Syracuse and that it's um they have physical on defense it's kind of a weird matchup situation and you again there's no juice there right that's a dead stadium that's a dead stadium with fans a lot of times alumni stadium Um, so these next two games are really critical because you'd like to see them split again that gets you at three and three and puts you in pretty good shape for the rest of the season because you start to hit your manageable part of your schedule again um, after you get through this next these next two games I think are. Some of the tougher games remaining on the schedule until they play Notre Dame. So, yeah, uh, you know, it, it, this is an interesting time. Jeff Sims. It all re- kind of lays on how Jeff Sims plays, right? Like if he plays well and stays within himself and doesn't try to do too much and knows when to tuck it, and those, that's going to be really important in this game too because. You can't make some of the mistakes. Even he made a couple – got away with a couple in the Louisville game, like one really bad throwaway in the middle of the field instead of throwing it out of bounds. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. They're, they have a guy who's fast enough to find that ball and dive on it. Like, it, it's just – and they're going to put pressure on him. He hasn't been sacked but a couple times this season. And there's this is a tough matchup for the Georgia Tech offensive line as well. They're playing really physical um, defenders that are fast and athletic and – got the length and height that, uh, you know, Jeff Collins preaches for what he wants on his defense. They've got that and they're developed, right? They're not having to take two years to develop Jared Ivey or Kyle Kennard. They got Miles Murphy, who's already that coming out of high school playing. So that's, that's right. the difference. You know, we talk about the difference between like a five-star guy and a high three or a forced low four-star guy, Miles Murphy's example, right? Like he's a guy who can play as a true freshman physically, um whereas like Jared ivy has gotta put the time in the weight room. And that's not a slight against Jared. Jared's got a really great opportunity to be a, a tremendous football player, but it's gonna take him time physically to develop. Whereas some guys are already there that look like they could play in the NFL out of high school. And that's that's the sort of next bridge you gotta jump. And um you know, as we talk about the recruiting piece of it, uh we'd be remiss not to talk about what happened on Monday. You know, we, we spent a lot of time behind the scenes kind of getting ready for uh big events like that and it looked sort of like we' were gonna have a kind of crazy Monday and a crazy Thursday and then it turned into an insane Monday um for you yeah. Russell in particular. Can you just kind of walk us through um River Helms and then Kenyatta Watson the second
1: so we'll start with River and then you to remind me to, to touch on Watson but uh, with, with River, I mean, it, it came together rather quickly. I mean, for the longest time in his recruitment, it was Florida State and everybody else. But the more he watched Florida State play, the more he started thinking, you know what, I don't think that's a good fit. You know what, that offense, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, the, the lack of stability, the, the, just the lack of cohesion, it, it seemed kind of got in the way of things in terms of his recruitment in Florida State. I don't know, Florida State would have taken his commitment. Central Florida would have taken his commitment. Louisville would have taken his commitment. And then early, earlier on in his recruitment, maybe just a few months ago, the University of Georgia would have taken his commitment. And, and for Georgia Tech fans, you know, that's always something that they, they love to talk about and, and hear, that, you know, they're, they're getting kids that, that Georgia wanted at some point and things like that. But with River, it's something different because River had the situation this spring where he wasn't able to go on camps he wasn't able to go on visits like he's committing to georgia tech without ever having been there and and that's something that a lot of these kids are doing but you know he plans on getting over to atlanta when he can um, but things really started to heat up between him and georgia tech i would say the middle part of last week and like you said you know we kind of we spent some time behind the scenes i believe i had my story ready on him was it either Friday night or Saturday? And then we were just waiting to to kind of get the logistics taken care of and, and get the interview. You know, Chad was able to to break the story, as he does, with, with kids in his territory, and, and we were good. Um, I think that that is a, a really good spot for him. Georgia Tech is in their offense. Uh, the the way that they use the tight ends, you know, that's another thing. that you know, Can't be talked about enough this past week. they Georgia Tech had their tight ends back. You could – You saw them run the personnel, especially in the red zone, that they haven't been able to use when it was Jack Coco and Billy Ward out there playing. I mean, no offense to them, but, you know, Coco's not an experienced tight end. He's still kind of growing into the position, both on the field and off. And, you know, Billy's a true freshman. But when you've got both Dillons out there, you're able to to run a lot more of the the offense on the playbook. And having the PASMA and now River in the class, You've got that ability as well, and you're adding talent to the roster. And at one point, it seemed like that was good. That spot was going to be held for for Dingle, but the longer things went out, and the more that Rivers played, even just this season, you know, the, the more impressed the staff seems to have been, and they took his commitment. Now, you know, getting to to Kenyatta, um, that was that was one that was that was done actually pretty pretty quickly. Um, as soon as Let's see, he entered the portal, I believe it was on a Sunday, after a game that he didn't play in. And then Monday went by, Tuesday went by. He hadn't heard from Georgia Tech. Uh, as I said in my story on, on Jackets Online, you know, Wake Forest, Tennessee, um, several other schools all hit him up and were in contact. But the moment that he saw that, that Collins had thought him on Twitter and then they had messaged back and forth for a little bit, that was, it was a done deal. Uh, you know, Watson was interested in come, going, being closer to home. Um, he's got a, a really good chance for a waiver, if that even matters at this point. We'll, we'll find out, you know, in the next couple of months whether or not that's actually even going to matter anymore uh, with the, the potential of the first time, the one-time transfer rule being passed. Um, but w- with Watson, it was it was about, like he said, you know, being developed, being closer to home, and it, the story that I had was done <laughs> Thursday night And it just was a matter of, you know, the logistics of him, you know, traveling. He was in Austin at the time. Like he was literally in his dorm room at the University of Texas doing his interview about his commitment to Georgia Tech. And I just thought that was like really ironic and, and kind of crazy. But that's really the world we live in, especially in 2020.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of one of those things that happens fast. And, I, you know, imagine that was a situation where, you know, Jeff and them wanted to do their due diligence a little bit on what his situation was and you know and think about the knee too because he's a corner nickel guy like he could play both because he's a bigger kid he's 6'2 ish and probably 180 190 somewhere in there right now and
1: yeah close to 200 pounds.
0: yeah so like he's not a small corner so it's an interesting thing because you have still have trace willing and you have miles sims who are on that bigger corner side um that'll be back but they're not both freshmen either so um it sort of made some sense just to add the competition there you have some guys that are starting to cycle out at that safety position you have guys you can kind of move around and then there'll probably be let's be honest there might be some attrition in that area too um just because they have a lot of different guys and and that's a position that people don't like to sit on the bench for a long time. And if you're not playing and you're not on special teams, then a lot of those guys tend to move on on their own. Um, So it made sense to bring him in. It it adds another layer of competition they've had, you know, and they've played a lot of guys this year. I mean, let's think about this. They've played Trace Willing, who started Saturday for the first time. It's a normal starter. Zamari Walton has been the other starter pretty regularly. You've had miles Sims. You've had Keenan Johnson both start games this year. You've had Tobias Oliver play some you've had, um, uh, probably at least one other guy, like, come in. Miles Brooks, I think, came in a game briefly. Maybe at that yeah, You UC played in the Syracuse game. Or Syracuse, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, and then they still have both Jalen and Jordan Huff. And um, and Jalen Askew is a senior They've also can play some corner. So, they have guys that are, you know, they have a mix of guys, but there's not anyone – really standing out besides Trey and Zamari, right? Those two guys play really well. Miles Sims has come on some. Keenan's been a little up and down. Um, So it's not like he's walking in and it's, you know, Deion Sanders and, uh, you know, Richard Sherman playing corner. Like it's a situation where there's playing time either way. And the way they roll, they would like to play. Ideally, I think if you talk to Jeff Popovich or Thacker, um, they'd like to play more guys more reps like they probably are playing zamari and trey a little too much as it is or whoever start like the starters are playing a little more than they'd like they'd probably like to be at 60 40 or 70 30 at best right now they're probably at 80 20 with those snaps and so that gives them a lot of opportunities the way they've used wesley walkers really could be really interesting for a guy like kenyatta too like is that nickel dime back kind of um guy that covers slots and and gives you that size that can cover a tight end on a switch or an inside receiver on in zone um so i think that's a really nice pickup for them i'm all for just getting um more competition in that room um i think the way they would like to play is man to man and be aggressive they can't do that right now and you know at the end of the day um the cream will rise to the top. And as you talked about the one-time waiver that gives guys opportunities. If you're not happy, if you're, you know, whoever, and you're not in the rotation and down the line and say, Kenyatta comes in and wins a job. Well, you can go somewhere else and play. You'll have that, that opportunity. And from talking to every coach that I know at every school, like this is not just a Georgia tech thing. they all expect that to go through Um, especially with the crunches that are going to start happening financially for some schools um, after this year is just, you know, just the natural progression of things and uh, advertising dollars have uh, thinned out and not having people in the stands and having 25%, 30% for even basketball. It's going to catch up. And there's going to be some squeeze there too on scholarships and stuff. So I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how how guys pan out. And, and this was an opportuni- opportunistic pickup. And if you've looked at the transfers they've got so far, um, they've all sort of been like that. Ezard, Marquez Ezard, was a guy. They needed a, a, a receiver that could play in space, and that's why they targeted him. Um, early on, there was an Atlanta kid. They got Derek Allen, who was a big safety. That was just sort of a lucky situation where they were able to bring him in. It made some sense to add a younger guy into a very older room uh, like that, that that could compete and play, and he's playing now uh, a fair amount. After sitting out last year, you have Antonius Clayton, who sat out and played a hell of a game on Saturday against Louisville, had a couple of sacks and some nice QB pressures, and also slapped Malik Cunningham in the face, apparently, uh, on a play that I didn't see totally. Like, it looked a little bogus to me, like when they threw the roughing the passer, but I guess he slapped him uh, across his helmet or something. But, anyways, uh, you have him, who's a a guy that Jeff knew since he was 16. Um, And that was an opportunity. Tunistic pickup and then you've had uh uh spider sims right and tyler davis last year the tight end and they'll probably and ryan johnson at, at uh, guard and before him they had last year uh jared salters so it's all mm-hmm. sort of been just kind of patching little holes here and there what's interesting is they passed on quarterbacks like they've passed on interesting quarterbacks that i've um heard of that very interesting kind of quarterback. yeah like people have reached out to us just to see if like we thought there would be interest even you know like or wondering what the situation was attack for the quarterbacks and that's one of the fascinating pieces of this they want to build from square one but they're willing to pick up pieces in certain ways that fit into their team they felt they had an opportunity to add a quarterback for this season right but the reality was they felt like they felt really comfortable with jeff tuck and and Jordan Yates, the three main quarterbacks, and what those guys could do and they felt like it would be it would screw the whole team chemistry up if you brought another kind of big name quarterback into that room and it wasn't maybe somebody that would be there for a long time, so it was like a one year rental that didn't make a lot of sense to them, so they passed and I get it, and you know I think. You know, aside from if you have, like, maybe the best tight end in the world or, like, a really amazing linebacker or, you know, the one thing that Georgia Tech fans dream of, a big defensive tackle. um, Unless one of those guys comes loose, it's going to be very rare when they take guys, and they're going to be mostly local kids. Um, For the most part, the guys have taken – have been kids they had relationships with before uh, at previous stops or just – even recruited at Georgia tech a little bit, or just knew through the Atlanta grapevine, like Kenyatta, you know, that was Jeff's, Jeff literally recruited him on his own before he even had a staff in place. Right. Like that was his first guy he went out to see when he got the job um, before he was basically going out with Paul's old assistants and yeah. trying to sure up the recruiting class that they had and then try to add some guys. And that was the splash guy he went to see first off the bat. And that shows you how important that kid was to him. And so, yeah, that one makes sense to me. It makes sense if they circle around on Atlanta kids, um, you know, and then the few kids they've taken that have been out of state kids are like Tyler Davis, who was a tight end that really helped them or, um, you know, Ryan Johnson at guard um, It, the, or, you know, but the rest of those guys that I'll mention as Derek Allen, Spider sent all Atlanta kids like or su- Atlanta suburb kids, so they fit into the the, the ethos or the um, kind of grand design of what Jeff wants to do. They you know for a long time um, under Paul Johnson, their recruiting base, their best players they're were getting were from Tennessee. They weren't even from Atlanta like, and they're trying to change that mentality. They're not even really recruiting Tennessee that hard anymore. Um, you you just see like they 've decided to hyper focus on on Atlanta and then going into Florida and then spot recruiting the rest of the country and key using his connections in Alabama and you know going and getting a quarterback in California or whatever it is like that 's been more of the focus has been on Georgia and Florida, and I think that will continue to be the case as this goes on and it 's one of those funny things' cause like every time somebody's in the portal that looks mildly interesting. People will hit us up, like the kick returner from Kansas State, or you know, like just like random ass guys that like no one has any connection to. And I'm like, if they don't have a connection, it is highly unlikely they're going to do anything because most of the transfers that you don't have those kind of connections with are going to end up being unhappy, anyways, as they come into your situation. If they're not playing immediately or whatever, you have to have someone that you know what you're getting into and, and you're comfortable with.
1: Oh, for sure. And then, uh, I mean, you know, something that doesn't get talked about enough on, on our side of things. I think with um, regards to, to transfers in the transfer portal is that a lot of these kids before they officially enter in the transfer portal, believe it or not, they know where they're going.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what they lean on their high school coach or their AAU coach from basketball even, or like their seven on seven coach or their trainer, if you really want to know what's going on, like with a kid, the best person to talk to is the guy who trained him. Like that they yep. worked out with that. You, you look at a lot of Russell's stories. He'll talk to I me. Mean, he did the story on river. The, that was the, the guy you talked to was the guy who was his trainer and like coach. It was not, you know, maybe his high school coach or whatever because they weren't necessarily seriously involved in the the whole process of what was going on. Um, these people spent a lot of time with these characters Um. You know, I spent a lot of time talking to Jalen Camp's dad, Richard, and he runs a gym. And it's amazing, like, the stuff he knows, like, that's going on with kids from the North Metro part where he's from, like, up in Forsyth County. Like, he knows all the dirt, all the scoop on what guys are up to because that's that's those are the people that know those things. And that's sort of, a, uh, I guess, a trade secret um, that you can find out and a lot of these guys put feelers out too, man. You don't want to transfer out and then have to go to scuba Mississippi or, um, you know, you know, all the juco's in Mississippi, Russell. I mean, you don't want to go to those yeah. places. Like if you were at the university of Miami or, you know, even Kansas state is still a big difference between being in, um, Manhattan, Kansas at the university of, at Kansas state university. And then being at Hutchinson, you know, in Kansas and, uh, it's it's a lot different it 's tough, man you got to be tough as nails to survive some of these juco places so yeah, uh, you know you got to be smart about this if you 're a recruit and you want to to and you 're not happy with your decision that 's where it gets tough and that 's why these coaches spend so much time um, trying to make sure that they you know the kids are happy and that 'll be an interesting piece of this whole transfer thing now. Because if you're Kirby or Nick Saban or you're stacking talent like they do year in and year out, I think it's going to be become a little harder to hold on to some of those kids for three years like they have in the past. As, um, you know, the, especially the ones that are you know maybe playing ten snaps a game that could be playing fifty at Missouri. You know, like they're going to look at that and be like, yeah. You know how am I going to get to the NFL if maybe I just play my senior year? Like that's not going to help me that much. Whereas yeah. I can go to this place and be a star. So there's gonna, I think there's going to be a lot of fallout from the 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 transfer piece is now becoming what it's become in basketball over the last decade in basketball. Right, every basketball team in the country now uses the transfer portal, for lack of a better word. Um, to to kind of stock their teams, that's what Josh Passengers know with Georgia Tech basketball. It's what a lot of teams do. They go and find where they're deficient, and then they add that piece. Right? You need a three-point shooter, or you need a big man to block shots, or whatever it is. You can go and find that piece. The Georgia Tech piece that's harder is the academic, um, the academic piece, and whether those kids can a survive and b if their schoolwork even transfers over. Because if you're at the wrong college and you're taking you know, uh, PE for a letter grade. And, um, <laughs> dude, that, that was a thing you could take for, I took at the university of Georgia, they had PE was a letter grade sport. I took it three different, three different ones because it was just a GPA booster. Uh, when I needed a GPA booster, uh, I took volleyball, advanced volleyball and basketball. They were all for letter grades. They were like one hour classes or something, but they were still letter grades. And then like Advanced like volleyball. Yeah, it was volleyball too. Wow. Yeah. Did you have a textbook? No, and that's the class I broke my ankle in like horribly too. Uh, oh, landed man. on the, the top of my ankle as if it was the bottom on the fourth class or something, and then the guy just gave me an A for the rest of the year because uh, I couldn't clearly couldn't play volleyball anymore um, no. for the rest of that year, but. That's what, I mean, some of these places are like that, man. I took military history. That was like, we went and shot guns in our ROTC building. Like there was lots of like joke classes and Georgia Tech just doesn't have any of that. Like there's just, and so it's hard, man. Like it can be a, a, a struggle and it's something that every coach has dealt with. that has been there in terms of uh, since they added the academic progress piece to it, like, you know, Morgan Burnett famously said when he left Georgia Tech, he had run out of classes he could take and and do well in. He was like, "I got to go pro." He's like, and he had a little kid and stuff, and it made sense. But that was one of the things he said to us. He was like, "I've done as much as I can academically." He's like, "This is hard," um, and I got a chance to go make money, so let me go make money while I can. And you know that makes sense, man. Like, so. That's always going to be a limiting factor um, with Georgia Tech. That's why you haven't seen Jeff go out and add five JUCO D linemen and stuff like they could have used. Like to, mm-hmm. to patch.
1: I'm sure they would if they could.
0: They would. Um, a lot of places would if they could. And even There's even other schools that can't do that stuff, too. Georgia Tech's not the only one, but it's right. amplified at Georgia Tech just because of the academic piece of it, too, so. When you look at all that, that's something you have to take into account too. When you look at who's transferring and why, the further along they're in school, the harder it is to transfer um, unless they're like decent academically. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into this behind the scenes too that you don't necessarily hear about. Um, And they're still sort of in the weird roster pruning phase, right? Like they still have too many running backs and they don't have like 13 anymore, but they have probably – six eight they probably should have sixth most um yeah you know and the class separation is not great either between all of them because Gibbs is playing so it's like you have several of them are going to be sophomores and royal underclassmen so that's kind of weird um and you know quarterbacks same way right you got three freshmen right now a quarterback and a, a sophomore that's probably destined to play somewhere else in the field or somewhere else so um it's gonna this will be an interesting offseason for sure for Georgia Tech and you know everything can change in a dime right like uh so much changed for you know uh a guy like Curtis Ryans who, who kind of bulked up and, and found his role as a pass rusher now you know he might have been in a weird spot um, coming back if Sylvain and Antonius Clayton are healthy, but Sylvain gets hurt. it's out for the year now. So now Curtis has an opportunity to make it, you know, continue to make a name for himself. He took advantage of the opportunity in the first game when he got to start and had a great game. And those guys can kind can of carve roles out for themselves. Adonica Sanders has done a really nice job of that. They were, He was probably a guy they weren't real sure about because he hadn't played barely at all. He had been hurt. Um, His entire redshirt freshman season, I think he broke his collarbone, and you know he's turned into guys starter games for him and plays a ton. Um, You look at Dylan Leonard, who's a walk-on tight end that gained you know thirty pounds and got himself put on scholarship, and he was the best tight end in the game last week. Caught a uh, caught a fifteen-yard pass, had a really nice game all around. So you just never know where people are going to surface from. I think that's one of the nice things about what Jeff does in terms of playing a lot of kids and trying them out and trying to find spots for them. You know, Jordan Dominic's a kid that was in the doghouse. He'll tell you that last year was not happy um, going away from the three, four. He was recruited as a three, four outside linebacker, wanted to play that kind of rush linebacker spot. Didn't want to put his hand in the dirt. He's turned out to be, you know, right now he's having an all ACC season through four games. Um, and, you know, that was probably not a guy they counted on at all. They were, you know, probably looking at Chico Bennett and and then trying to figure out what else they could find at that defensive end spot. And then Chico gets hurt, Jordan starts playing a lot more and ends up starting the back half of the season then carries that momentum into this year and has a good year. So things can change in a heartbeat and um, – so one thing I always tell people, you know, never get too um, locked in on seeing player X or player Y or whatever. Um, you know, something something can change really quick. And I think it'll be interesting to see as this continues to evolve. The big key for Jeff in this program and where Paul Johnson struggled was maintaining once you either had a critical injury or uh, just – it would be in cycles right of depth where you'd have a big senior class, they would leave, and then you'd struggle the next season and would struggle to play play 500 football. And those are the things where what Jeff does should counteract some of that by playing a lot of guys. Like you shouldn't have as much fall off. You're not going to be in a situation where they had five or six senior slot backs on a team. Like you're just not gonna see that, I don't think, with the way he does his roster management. So it's a big kind of a long rant about <laughs> um that piece of it, but it's a big thing to think about still. They're out of uh they're in the part now where they're on a hard eighty five lock and they've got to be really smart about how they use their scholarships. They want five scholarship tight ends, so you take River. That's your fifth guy. They probably don't take a tight end in the next class, like unless it's an elite guy. Like you yeah. really have to have a needle mover to to take a tight end in the next class to push someone else out of a spot, right? And where do you take that spot from?
1: Exactly. And I think that's uh, that's also gonna kinda of be the move going forward in the twenty one class. You know, they're they're back at nineteen commits again and it'll be really interesting to see how many actual high school kids they add to the class and between now and December and February.
0: I mean I really feel- you know, the needs are what linebacker and defensive tackle, the need, need part of it is anyways. It's probably offensive line, too, I would think.
1: Yeah, I, I think mean, they, they could probably one use one
0: more body. Yeah. Um, and there's still, that could be another place where you see some attrition as well eventually. Um, yeah, yeah, they'd probably yeah. like one more offensive lineman. But that's not a lot, like, there's not going to be this huge influx. They're not signing nine more guys in this class. Like, that's. No,
1: and then I also don't. I mean, if Kamari Lasseter called them and said, hey, you know, I'm ready to commit. I want to commit to Georgia Tech. You know, I'm sure they would kind of evaluate their options at that point. But I also don't think that they're knocking down the door, you know, pushing all out for him like they are for, say, a defensive tackle or a linebacker from inside the state of Georgia or some, some offensive lineman from the state of Alabama currently committed elsewhere. Those, <laughs> those kids are the ones that they're pushing the hardest for. Now, year's going to remain on the, the offer list on, on Jackets Online, at least currently. But as of right now, I don't see a scenario where both him and Watson would potentially be on the roster next
0: year. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if David Daniel or Xavier Carter, or you know, there's some guys who could pick up that phone call and they would probably find a spot for him, right? But there's only a, I, you know, we can probably count on one hand who those guys are, and the, the real, the realistic expectation is at best you would get one kid that makes that phone call, um, right? And we sort of have our idea of who it's going to be, anyways, um, <laughs> that's going to make that phone call. Uh, yeah. But, and people who follow jackets online will, will be aware of who we're joking about right now. But, you know, this is an interesting time, and I think. You know, if they can play okay, like don't lose, you know, maybe cover the spread against Clemson. That's gonna encourage people. They're gonna show some show signs of growth. Like, yeah, that's that would be a big thing. And Georgia Tech's historically played Clemson pretty well. There's, you know, last year and then maybe two other times since they've been on that run, they've been blown out. Like the rest of the games have been pretty close, or uh, at least games for most of the game, like within two scores. Um, so, uh, yeah. hopefully they can get back to that. That's one uh, – another huge step that, that I would like to see happen. I think it would be really encouraging, especially in the year we're not playing UGA, and they're going to get a lot of ink uh, with what's going on. And if they somehow beat Bama, then it will be kind of an insufferable to be in Atlanta if you're a Tech fan for the next couple of weeks. So – or even through the SEC championship. So – you know, you need a, a good show in here, I think. And I think it goes a long way, right? Like, I think that's what every Tech fan wanted to see was progress. And after what happened in the fourth quarter of the UCF game, and then that entire Syracuse game, it, people were getting nervous. You know, is this, you know, you Jeff Sims turning the ball over like it's, like he threw six picks in that five quarters of play that I'm talking about. Um, you know, like that freaked people out. But The reality is they're making strides man like they it's you cannot say they don't look better as a team right now and i think that's encouraging to see and i think if you're um a tech fan you should be pretty happy you know and then hopefully they'll look good and give clemson a bit of a game and you never know college football has been weird this year too man like when we get Mississippi State whipping LSU, and then they lose to they you know lose to Arkansas, and then score two in their next game against uh, uh, Kentucky, like yeah, oh gosh, you know they score Don't, forty <laughs> something points against LSU, and then can't score a touchdown against Kentucky. No shot against Kentucky, but yeah, you know Thank not the cream of the crop.
1: I think the uh, the Clemson game is one where if Georgia Tech is fortunate enough to somehow win the coin toss, that's one where you receive first oh, in yeah. the second half because the last thing you want to do is go down 7-0, put the offense on the field, true freshman quarterback, true freshman running back, true freshman right tackle, you know, lining up against Clemson's defense.
0: And they're going to have to be clever about stuff. I think you'll see a lot of 12 personnel and them trying to – find creative ways to run the football and give uh, give Jeff Sims some high percentage throws early in the game move the pocket around and do all of those kinds of things i don't think this is a game where you drop him back and try to throw bombs like some of the people on the board have been suggesting i think that's that's how you end up with pick sixes and fumbles and bad things happening i think you have to be conservative play a little bit of field position hope your defense can keep Etienne in front of them and and maybe knock Trevor Lawrence off his spot a little bit. And he's shown that he will turn the ball over a little bit if you knock him off his spot, Lawrence. So, um, you know, it's an interesting game. I don't think there's any expectations for Tech in it. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing right now for a young team that's rebuilding. I mean, crap, I put up bowl projections uh, on Tuesday. Like, you know, I had no idea that I would be – even thinking about that four games into the season this year. Uh, So that's encouraging, man. Like there's things to be encouraged about. And I think that's the, the the one thing that was great about that Louisville win is it gives you some hope uh, if you're a tech fan going ahead. And then I think, you know, as you look at uh, the, you know, upcoming games, it's going to be kind of up and down depending on who they play and can they play up and, how healthy do they stay too? Like, I mean, you know, that's going to start to come in as they they don't have all these bye weeks anymore. So you play Clemson, BC, and then um, Notre Dame, and then you have a bye before you play Pitt, and then at Miami, Duke, and NC State to close out the season. So this is going to be an interesting little stretch here. I forgot about the Notre Dame game uh, at the end of the month on Halloween. Um, It's going to be... Really, really, really interesting. Uh, and Notre Dame, to me, is maybe the most overrated so far of the, the ACC teams. And that's as weird as that is to sound. Um, so, what, know, Notre Dame State,
1: and overrated or Notre Dame and ACC? Notre Dame and a- one, a- sounds a- ACC, yeah, one, one sounds normal.
0: One is traditional and one is not. And, you know, Florida State gave them a game um, the other night. So, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting stretch of games for Georgia Tech where they have a chance to maybe steal a win or two in the next three games. I don't think it'll be Saturday, but um, I don't dislike the matchup against Boston College, and I certainly find the Notre Dame game intriguing uh, in Atlanta. So this is going to be a a fun time to kind of watch it. As I tell everybody, man, you got to look at this season. as is house money, right? You've had guys – they may have beat Syracuse if you have some of the guys that were in contact tracing or maybe had injuries or didn't. Um, You know, that's one of the weird things about this season. Like, it's just – it's such a crapshoot. And Andrew Thacker said that thing, you hold your breath every Saturday morning when you get the text from coach who's available. Like, that's freaking hard to imagine at this – you know – at this level of football, but that's the way it is, and um, you have to kind of take that in stride as you as you watch these games and try to, you know, get hyped up but not get too overworked up over what happens on the field because, at the end of the day, we should all just be happy there's football.
1: Yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the truth. That is the truth. The Notre Dame game is at. That... Uh, Bobby Dodd, or is that mercedes
0: It's they—they're not going to play in the Benz because they won't have fans, so uh, they moved it. Um, and I guess they're going to just add another game to the back end of that series, the thing in the the bends, so they'll still play the same number of games, I believe. But uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to play those games. It's where I'll be real curious about the Bulls, man. Like, I don't—I don't know how you play some of them. Like, is it worth playing a game in Yankee Stadium in front of no one? Like. Does that make sense financially for anybody? Like the expense of traveling to New York in the middle of the holidays, and
1: yeah, it'll it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what ESPN wants to do.
0: And they own all the bowls except for like one or two of them, uh, so it's very much in their corner. I think they want the inventory for TV, but still, uh, some I think some may still go away. Like I, I can see like the Birmingham Bowl being played because they can have fans. They don't draw crap anyways. Uh, for that game. And, you know, they could play it. You could play Georgia Tech and, you know, I think the one projection I saw was Georgia Tech, South Carolina for that one. I was like, yeah, it'd be a great game. People will show up for that. Like you could sell the,
1: Hiper, Tatum.
0: yeah, you could, yeah, you could. you <laughs> can have him stand on the sideline and winner takes all. And, uh, you know, maybe a lame duck will mush champ coaching his last game at South Carolina um you know, you know you just like that would work because they they can sell part of the stadium which would be the same amount of people they would get for a normal game there and whatever but like i don't see how like the pinstripe bowl or the one in fenway or some of these at the quick lane bowl like I, some of these i just don't see going off like so i still am curious about like, they've already canceled the bahamas bowl because that was just a logistical issue but That'll be an interesting piece of all this as well. Like who goes bowling, who doesn't, you know, what? what's our first team that can't play in the bowl game because of COVID positives, you know, so that's going to happen. Right? Team. Yeah. They're going to be like, Hey Duke, we know you won like two games this season, but you want to come play because Louisville can't get their stuff together and play or excuse me, Virginia tech would be the team that, <laughs> that would happen. Yeah. To. And uh, yeah. they can't play their bowl game. I mean, it's going to be a weird rest of the year and I suggest people just sit back and enjoy it and be glad up to this point I'm gonna knock on wood here that Georgia Tech's not had a game canceled because they're probably probably over half the league now has had a game canceled or moved, um this season
1: yeah that's very true I mean and it, so far the schedule hasn't really been impacted I mean some of their opponents have been you know some like maybe second or third down the line kind of impacted but but Georgia Tech hasn't been impacted at all and I think that, you know, that speaks to the, the seriousness and the the way that Collins and the rest of the program has you know, handled all of this. I believe that even the school has been kind of commended nationally for the way they've taken care of business for a lack of better words.
0: Yeah, it's been uh you know, impressive. He took it very seriously from the get go. I remember talking to him in spring ball when salt all first started happening none of us really knew what was going to happen and he was you know concerned at that point like trying to just the logistics of even trying to hold practices and stuff and him dave clausen and a couple other guys in the acc have been serious and then you've had other coaches that have completely bungled things and you know and then there's people in between and that's sort of the way it goes and It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what this Clemson team looks like, how good they are and where they compare and how Georgia Tech compares against them. Because I think really the measuring stick to me is how they played last year in the season opener versus this game, right? Like I think that um, it should be a better game. And I don't think you're going to see maybe some of the dumb mistakes they had in that game that cost them. And they're a little more efficient on offense. Is that going to be enough? Because – I don't know if this Clemson teams is as good as last year's. They're probably more talented. I think Dabo would tell you that. But they're young. It's some key spots. So it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I don't envy Jeff Sims and, those, and Jameer Gibbs and those guys playing that defense or Tech's defense uh, and the defensive coaches trying to scheme up against Trevor Lawrence, who every Falcon fan is uh, hoping falls into their lap.
1: That's right, including T.I., did you see what T.I. said today?
0: No, what did T.I. say? <laughs>
1: he was on first take, and he said he wants Matt Ryan on the first plane, train, or automobile out of Atlanta.
0: Well, you know, I, I, I was joking with my buddy, uh, who's a big Falcons uh, guy, that I know exactly where Matt Ryan would go. The Washington Redskins, or excuse me, the Washington football team, that's the kind yeah. of move they would make. They would trade for an old Matt Ryan and, you know, take their chances. But to me, actually, the place where he makes the most sense, and one of my buddies who works uh, for the Falcons, I was joking with him about about this, but he agreed with me that, uh, uh, you know, Cam Newton's going to cash out after the season with the Patriots. He's not staying there. And I think Matt Ryan would make a lot of sense in New England with that offense and as kind of a caretaker – quarterback and that fits what he does a lot better than a lot of other places and that could make some sense falcons would probably have to eat a lot of his contract but they're gonna have to do that either way if you want to make him move somewhere but knowing the falcons they'll like go draft justin fields and he'll be terrible or like uh you know they'll take a tight end or something with the like seventh pick like oh we're gonna take brevin jordan from miami and he'll be yeah. like a total bust. Brevin um, Jordan's a really good player right now, but you know, it's just a hypothetical, like that's the Falcons type move. So we'll it'll be, this will be interesting to watch as well as uh, Atlanta sports people. We monitor these things and what the Falcons yeah. do in the front office and who they hire as a head coach. And is that good or bad for Georgia tech? Cause it does there, there's relationships there. Dan Quinn uh, was close with Paul Johnson and he likes Jeff Collins and, it's helpful if those guys like your guys because it helps you um, and the GM in particular can help you get some opportunities for your kids after uh, their college careers are over. So maybe they'll get somebody who's a little more friendly. Dimitrov didn't seem as interested in the local kids um, as, you know, say Dan Reeves was uh, in the past. So hopefully, uh, you know, the next GM's a guy that uh, will have more of an eye for the that you know, Tech, Georgia State, UGA, Auburn, Bama, you know, like keeping Clemson, the like more local Atlanta kids uh, home because that would be kind of a cool way, and I think that would definitely keep interest up. And they have a fair amount of Atlanta kids on um, the Falcons now, but still, I would, I'd enjoy seeing. Um, you know, Darren Waller is a, a Falcon right now. I think people would dig that.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. That's crazy to think about just the amount of talent that they could have on their roster currently if they were drafting the local kids. I mean, you know, they did this past past year when they took AJ Taro, and you know, he's 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 played you know when when healthy. You know, he had the, the whole COVID situation, um, but you know, he's played when healthy, and they're expecting him to make a real strong impact. But I'm I'm trying to look down the roster, and I'm wondering who else is in front of Atlanta on that Grady roster Jarrett.
0: Uh, that's true. He's the first one that I always think of. My favorite story about Grady Jarrett is he was at a Georgia Tech camp, and me and my buddy were there covering the camp, and we saw him. I was like, hey, he's really good, but he's so short. And that's what everyone thought, and then Clemson took a took a kind of flyer on him um, and worked out really well. Um, yeah, just you know like that it's uh that's one of those weird guys that sort of bucks the um the system but yeah i don't need to see another tack mckinley or uh you know just some of these other weird guys they drafted that you know i don't, I don't know I, that just doesn't make any sense to me like why not go get why not trade back at that point if that's who you're thinking about? Dra- uh, you know, We could get into a, a long discussion about Falcons draft picks and how they've screwed those up over the years. Not as bad yeah, as that'd,
1: the be Hawks. Five hour, that'd be a five-hour podcast.
0: Now, the one who does the best be. job with that is the Braves, like with drafting. Yeah. If you go look at, like, who they pick in the early rounds and stuff, they have a huge hit rate, even if the guy doesn't work out on, in their organization. Um, right still have really done a great job drafting really going back through when sure came over uh to be the gm back in the early 90s
1: the, the next time we record the braves could potentially have a spot in the world series
0: dude you're totally jinxing yourself and this is gonna be hilarious i'm gonna make fun of you and like isolate this clip if they don't
1: They, like, said 28-3, and
0: right? Isn't that the record of teams that are 2-0 and and then LCS or something like that?
1: God, Uh, I hope not. I really hope that's not it.
0: I I think I saw one of the Atlanta personalities tweet that out after the game on Twitter.
1: Hopefully they were just being sarcastic. I mean, you know, they they caught a little – I wouldn't even say a little bit of luck. I think that, you know, Gonsolin today pitched for the Dodgers better than Kershaw would have. And it kind of caught the Atlanta batters off guard early on but the way they were able to, to catch on and then you know once the bullpen got in the game they, they looked like they had pulled away and then you know, josh tomlin comes in and, and all hell brainless.
0: that's funny well for russell johnson y'all keep the braves in mind as you watch the next couple days he's going to be and kids out there don't commit um anytime after 6 p.m for the next uh, three or four nights at least as uh, Russell's going to be preoccupied watching the NLCS hopefully for just the next two nights uh, but uh, that wraps up the Jackets Online podcast and uh, we'll be back with you next week hopefully talking about an interesting tech game against Clemson I'm not going to say a win because that would be I would have had to be drinking a lot tonight to to, to go out on that one yeah, yeah.